Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sports. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. This week's episode is a little bit different. Um, it is a live recording from one of my recent speaking events at Michigan State University's College of Law during their sports law symposium. In it, I kind of interview Marina Carpenter, the Associate General Counsel of the Arizona Coyotes, about her path to her position with the Coyotes. And I also talk about how I got my own. So I hope you enjoy this. It was a ton of fun and I'm so grateful to the students at Michigan State University's College of Law for putting this on and for having us there. So we're going to do this in a really casual, conversational format. And because we're team council, we can't really talk about substantive law without getting ourselves in trouble. (laughs) So we're going to talk about how we ended up where we are, because I think if you're interested in sports law, you're trying to figure out how the heck do you get a job in sports? So that's what we're going to do. Please feel free to ask questions at any time. Like I said, it's just going to be casual. It's going to be kind of like how I host my podcast um, and we'll we'll share stories and go from there. So um, I'm going to ask Marina the question that I ask pretty much everyone who does come on the podcast. How did you fall in love with sports? So my love for sports started when I was a kid, which I'm sure many of you who are interested in sports um, did as well. So I played, you know, youth soccer and basketball. Um, I was too tall as a girl. They let me play on the boys team because I was so much bigger than the rest of the girls. Um, And it started from there. I committed to play volleyball at Arizona State. Um, So I was there for my undergrad where I went to the W.P. Carey School of Business, which was a top 25, you know, academic school, a a traditional party school, if you want to call Arizona State that. Um, So if you want to, I guess it's (laughs) I got good grades, I promise. Um, (laughs) And so that's when I really got interested in like the business of sports because NCAA compliance was always top mind at ASU. We had, you know, sessions at the beginning of our season, what we could and couldn't do, what we needed to look out for. And I kind of understood that this is more than just a game. It really is a business. And I also found a lot of pride in it because especially at universities, like the history of sports and like those who come before you and all the fans and the alumni And so I really just wanted to stay involved as much as I I could. After undergrad, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my sister was just getting out of med school, and I thought that sounded terrible. So I decided to sit for the LSAT, did that, um, got into law school at ASU, started my path there. And uh, my first kind of real sports job was with Northern Trust Bank. Um, They had just started a professional athletes division, And they wanted to understand the difference between a traditional professional banker, librarian, lawyer who could work for 30, 40 years versus an athlete whose average career is anywhere from three to six years. You don't want to give a 30-year mortgage to someone who only has income for three to four years. And so I first started diving into collective bargaining agreements for all the major sports leagues. If anyone has looked at any of the CBAs, they're not the easiest things to read. It's kind of like reading statutes. Um, but it was great experience, and that kind of gave me the foot in the door for an internship with the Diamondbacks. That's great, and I think a lot of us find our love of sports through participation. So for me, I, I grew up in a household that loved the Patriots, loved the Red Sox. That's what we did. We watched those games. My first 
professional game that I ever went to was a Red Sox game with my day camp um, when we were when we were the older kids, uh, 11, 12. Uh, we got to go on a night trip up to Fenway, which is my church. Um, and we got to go up there for a night game and to see the Red Sox play. And I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. If you got over the bridge when I was a kid, it was like the biggest deal ever. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal now because we're so interconnected and everything is so global and travel seems like not a big deal. But for my family, it it was a big deal every time we went over the bridge and going into Boston. Oh my God. Um, so I played rec softball. Uh, it is the only sport I have played that has a ball or a bat or a stick or anything. And I was slightly coordinated at the time. <laughs> and then I got into running and it saved my life. Um, I am from a very blue collar family. I'm the first to graduate college on any side of my family. And um, I hung out with not the best kids in middle school. And the only reason I went to the middle school meet, like, you know, the you were, I don't know, an eighth grader and you had a, a meet and greet with the fall teams um, and the captains of the fall teams at the high school and the coaches. And I wanted to go to volleyball. Let me just tell you. <laughs> and the only reason I went to the cross country one was because the girls that I was hanging out with at the time, one of them was dating the brother of the captain of the cross country team. And I was a little follower. And so I went and I was the only one of the three of us who actually showed up at a practice in my Converse sneakers um, and which don't run in those. I'm just saying it's a bad look. And, um, and I, I fell into it full force. I was actually fairly good. So that was helpful. But my coach, um, was the type of man who could tell when something was off and he pulled me aside after I quit winter track my first year because it was cold and I didn't want to be outside. And he, he said, you know, you've got to make a decision on where you want to go in your life. And I hung out with those kids again that winter and realized it just wasn't me. And because of the guiding force from him, because I wasn't necessarily getting it at home um, and the guiding force of some of the other young women on the team, I, started thinking about college and when I wanted to go to UMass uh, for sport management, he vehemently said, no, uh, he had coaches from other teams like D2 schools reach out to me. And I was like, no, no, it's going to be UMass for the sport management thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it sounds cool. And I thought I was going to be the first female athletic director of my high school. Uh, that was what I thought I was going to do with it. And um, I remember him saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this degree? First of all, Amherst is a bad, UMass is a bad idea for you. It's a party school. Um, you're going to go crazy. He wasn't wrong in that. Um, and I said, you know, I was just like, I am going to be the first female athletic director of this high school. You know? And he's like, all right, go run your laps. And, um, and I did. I went to UMass and um, I loved that school, but the first year was really hard. I almost failed out uh, my first year. Uh, my first semester, my grades were so bad, I was put on probation. Um, and I might get teary here, so bear with me. Um, the advisor that we had in the sport management program, Dr. Stephen Jefferson, went to bat for me after the next semester. My grades improved significantly from semester to semester, but my average wasn't 
where it needed to be still. And he went to bat for me. And he was one of the only people at that point in time who believed I could do whatever it is that I wanted to do, which I didn't know yet. Um, he passed uh, a week or so ago. Um, so I think this is the first time I've talked about him since then, but he really made a difference. He sent me graduation flowers mm-hmm. from law school. So I took the sport law class, entered a sport law class that we all had to take in that program. And that's how I fell in love with the law. And when I decided that I wanted to go into law, again, he was one of the only professors in that program who believed in me because I'm not the best in classes. I never have been, but you give me the work and I can do it and I do it really well. And I, I, I don't know, exceed expectations. But um, so I went to Penn State thinking it was Penn State. You guys, I understand what it's like to be an affiliate of a large school that goes through a bunch of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I graduated before it happened, before it came out. But um, I thought I was actually going to the regular Penn State. Let me just tell you, the Internet wasn't what it is now. So uh, I blamed the interwebs. Um, and it was in this tiny little town in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, I went with my stepfather to look for an apartment because my anxiety was like going crazy and I needed to find an apartment. And I cried when I realized it was like a, you know, one stoplight town and it was one building. I went, we went into the building. I'm like, hi, do you have a a map of campus? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, (laughs) and I had picked Penn State because Great athletic program. I could still do the athletic marketing stuff that I was doing at UMass, you know, interning and and everything, which I loved. Um, it's actually how I, that's how I got my love of hockey. Oh, um, I, I would be that girl on the ice in like a very proper like skirt and top and heels throwing out um, t-shirts. And um, so, yeah, that's how I ended up at Penn State. And then when I graduated it was when the entire legal market had fallen and I had moved back up to Massachusetts and couldn't find a job. So I waitressed for two years as a licensed attorney, which is not a fun time. Um, but I started doing little things on my own. Um, and it was when Twitter had started. So I was on Twitter and, um, a reporter for the Boston business journal, had seen my tweets and I was tweeting about every, like, this is what there's like nobody on Twitter at this point. Um, I'm, I'm talking about waitressing and how it's crap. I'm talking about trying to find a job and how that's crap. And then I'm talking about uh, Tom Cruise and Surrey Cruise coming into my restaurant because they were filming in the area and how fun that was. And then like red carpet looks, you know, nonsense, sometimes cat pictures that, <laughs> That hasn't ended. Thanks, (laughs) Professor Bean. Um, And uh, and a reporter for the Boston Business Journal was like, this is a thing. There are a bunch of attorneys who just graduated and can't find work. And what are they doing? And um, I ended up being featured on the front page in my amazingly manly looking uh, waitressing uniform. It was a very old school steakhouse. So, you know. Those uniforms are lovely. And, um, and that's how I got my first, in-house, my first in-house job. I went straight in-house, but you went to a firm. So what were you doing at the firm? Yeah, so 
I had interned with the Diamondbacks during law school, and they had offered me a summer position, and I had already committed to a law firm. So it literally broke my heart. That picture of me that you see, that was my last day um, of work, and they had posted my position, and I think they got 132 applicants in like 35 minutes or something like that. Um, but, you know, law firms pay a lot more than the D-backs were willing to do, and I had already made a commitment, and so I thought I had to stay true to my word. I thought my life in sports was over at that moment, um, but I went to work at a law firm, and I worked for 12 different partners. So a lot of you, when you get done with law school and you go to a firm, you'll be in the real estate group or the transactional group or the litigation group, and um, all of your work will come from one or two people. Um, it was pure chaos working for 12 partners that had been very experienced. They had worked together for 20 years. Everyone thinks that their files are the most important. So trying to juggle 12 bosses was pretty difficult. And I was starting to get worried because if you want to make money as a lawyer, you have to be the best of the best in whatever you're doing. And so me being pretty good at just about everything, I didn't see my hourly rate going up. And I started to worry. So I went to my managing partner. I said, hey, I need to really focus down on what I'm doing. And he said, well, let's find out which partners really want you in their group. Well, luckily for me, almost every partner wanted me in their group. And at that same time, um, the Arizona Coyotes were going through a lot of transitions. And luckily, I did a good enough job at the D-backs that they had recommended me for that position. And what I thought was my biggest curse at my law firm ended up being my biggest asset at the Coyotes because I knew employment law, I knew contract law, I knew litigation, I did environmental stuff. Um, pretty much anything you can think of, I had worked on those type of cases. So going in-house when your day-to-day -day could start with one thing and end with something totally different, I was actually in a position of strength, which was super comforting. So as we talk about the winding path to get into sports law, there is no clear path, whether you're waitressing for two years or you're doing environmental due diligence, you know, at the firehouse down in Phoenix. So um, that's kind of how I ended up where I am. So my first in-house job, which was my first legal job, and that's not normal. <laughs> um, I was the first in-house counsel ever at this family of companies. Uh, it's a small group of life sciences companies, and I have zero science background. <laughs> and to make it even better, it's one of the companies is a, um, an umbilical cord blood bank. So when you give birth, you oftentimes have the option of storing the, the, uh, the stem cells from the umbilical cord blood of the baby. Um, and I knew about this because a friend of mine had actually been a salesperson for a competitor. I just learned all about that with yeah. <laughs> my, my coming baby. Um, we can talk after okay, thanks, if you appreciate need. It. Um, and, but I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of blood. Um, Quentin Tarantino movies are f terrible. Um, I just don't, I don't. And, um, and our lab is glass enclosed so you can see in because that is impressive, right? It was a mom. I called them in my head, mom and dad, because they were husband and wife who would fight. That's why I called them mom and dad. It's like mom and dad are fighting again. <laughs> what are you going to do? And what was great about that position was I had the ability to kind of create whatever I wanted from it. Um, and I got such a broad 
look at different businesses. So we had the umbilical cord blood bank. We also had a sperm donor program. And let me tell you, the lawsuits that come from that are the best cocktail party stories next to pictures of my cats than (laughs) you'll ever hear. I'm not that much of a crazy cat lady, I promise. I only have two. Um, But so I got the opportunity to meet some of the best female attorneys in the Boston area who were handling our litigation. And they then kind of pulled me in as, you know, their mentees. And at one point it became extremely obvious that I had to leave where I was working. There were things going on that I was very uncomfortable with um, and things that uh, I was uncomfortable with because they were happening to me as well. And so I ended up going over to a telecom company, which by the way, I have no telecom experience. And um, the great thing is when you're in-house, very rarely are you focusing on one particular type of law. Um, As Marina said, you're doing a little bit of everything all the time. And this experience at these companies, even if I didn't really care about whether or not Walmart had phone service, you know, I got to do things like go down to DC and lobby um, on behalf of my organization and meet all these lawmakers who, and people at the FCC who I still know to this day. So when we have an issue, I can call them up and, and get some advice or, or what have you. Um, And when I talk about Twitter, um, I not only got one job through Twitter, I got two through Twitter. I had known my, he has now left the organization, but my boss through Twitter from the early days of it. We connected on there. We'd have phone calls from time to time, like informational phone calls, like some of you have done with people in you know, law or different aspects of industries. Um, I We'd send holiday cards to each other. I still have one of his holiday cards from when he was at the Angels. When I moved to go down to Tampa, I sent him a picture because I found it. I was like, hey, buddy, look what I just found. Um, and when he had an opening, he reached out and I was one of five people that he brought in. It wasn't posted. Um, oftentimes in sports, particularly from the legal standpoint, those in-house positions aren't going to be posted and it's going to be a matter of who, you know, um, and who knows you, the crazy experiences that I had at these other organizations, the ridiculous lawsuits helped me transition so that it was almost seamless for me at that point. You know, I had been writing contracts for six years and redlining and all of that. And when I got in, it was easy. Um, There were a couple of nuances, but having that education from UMass was helpful, too. I understood how all the other departments worked. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got where I am. Similar, like, my job wasn't posted either. Um, And I'm lucky enough to live in Phoenix where we have all the major sports teams. We have Phoenix International Raceway. We have a bunch of golf tournaments that come through spring training baseball so we have a ton of teams in the cactus league so it's kind of a sports mecca and when i was at asu's law school we had just started the sports and entertainment law school journal 
Um, I didn't make it onto our actual journal, and so I was really, really thankful. Did you try? I didn't write on either. That's I didn't me try. just being lazy. Um, I didn't qualify being in the top 10. So uh, anyway, so the Sports Entertainment Law Journal was new, and so um, I tried to make connections and stay in touch with people, and no job was going to be too small for me. If you gave me a task, I want to do it awesome because then when something more fun like sports comes around – you have that trust in people to do what they say they're going to do and kind of exceed expectations. Um, so that was kind of a, my path too. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, one of the very interesting things about our industry is how big, but small it is. Mm -hmm. And once, once you start making connections within it, it's really easy to, um, continue that, you know, because Marina and I will be chatting here today and then maybe a law student will reach out to me and they want to work in hockey. And, you know, now I have Marina that I could, you know, point them to just for a conversation or if there's an issue that they're dealing with over at the Coyotes mm -hmm. that is new to them, but that we have gone through, um, she'll reach out to me. And so it's a really fun um, community. And once you break through, it's that first job that's always the hardest in sports to get. Um, and once you're in, as long as you can back it up, as long as you can do the work and um, people don't absolutely hate you, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's easy. It's easy enough to get the next one. Um I mean, if Aaron left your organization, what do you think would happen? The place would burn down. <laughs> um, but similar, so my boss, our GC, his name is Aaron Cohen. Um, he was a few years ahead of me at ASU, and he has been one of the best mentors, best teammates I could ever ask for. Um, but he recently became our chief operating officer over the summer. He is 33 years old. I think he is a genius, and he doesn't sleep enough. He doesn't eat enough. I worry about his health, but he grinds for our organization, and our owner loves that. And so we went from a legal department of two for about a year down to, I call it, one and a half because his responsibilities are so much more organizational-driven than the day-to-day -day legal needs, so everything falls on me. So Bobby Sue and I were talking about you have to be ready to go at any point, so I run our AHL team down in Tucson. I'm down there every other week or so. And people are looking to me to make decisions. And I'm like, who do you guys think I am? Like, I'm not ready to do this. But you have to just trust your gut and trust your skill set. And so I think going through law school, 1L sucks, 2L is hard, 3L is like, I can't wait to start working. Like, all those skills that you're building, and don't get me wrong, I don't deal with like... Um, you know, civil procedure very much anymore. But, you know, learning how to do some of that stuff is I'm going to make a decision based on my preparation and my research, and we're going to go with it. And I'm going to take responsibility for it, whether it's good or bad. And I think that's been one of my biggest assets and why I've been successful in this past two seasons is because of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we learn that you have to be uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable. You're never going to be 100%. Right sure of what an outcome is. And then from a day-to-day -day standpoint, again, it's you're moving so quickly a lot of times. Um, I attempt to start my day in a fairly calm manner <laughs> so that I can attempt to plan out what I'm going to get done. 
and my checklists never get done. I don't know. What about you? So to that point, but um, talking about the difference between in-house and a law firm. So I loved at the law firm and didn't realize it at the time that you kind of make your assessment, you give your analysis, and then you're done. The client gets to decide whether they're going to take it or not. When you're in-house, you're still responsible for those decisions, so everything is a risk assessment. Is the likelihood that this is going to happen, does it outweigh the benefit, yes or no? And that's, that's how you make your decision. So kind of enjoy it if you are you know, at a law firm that you give your advice and you're kind of done. Um, but in-house, it's you got to see it from start to finish and deal with whatever consequences come, there, come your way. Um, I know that for me, on a day-to-day basis, I'm doing anything from you know, redlining a contract with a a potential sponsor Mm -hmm. to um, putting together, and I I get to do this after this this little chat of ours, I get to put together some sweepstakes rules. Those are really good time, let me tell you. Um, And then other times it's, hey, we're buying a new bouncy house for (laughs) our kids zone, and do we need special insurance? Yes, yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so similar, I made kind of just a checklist of the things that I've done over the past two days. So I guess Monday through Wednesday. Um, I drafted a few employment contracts. Um, I handled some litigation matters. I went through a few service contracts with some of our service providers. I did a, a two corporate sponsorship deals. Um, similar, the Department of Gaming is very very strict on what you can do for sweepstakes, contest, lottery, if it's a game of chance versus a game of skill. So similarly, I drafted rules. Um, We are, the Coyotes are a tenant in our building. So we are owned by the city. We are managed by an arena management company and we are a tenant. People who come to our games don't know any of that. So anything that happens is our fault always. And so I'm usually apologizing for our concessionaire because they thought their chicken was overcooked or someone slipped in front of the ketchup stand, even though we're not the concessionaires and don't control it. I try to make nice, give them a puck, invite them out to another game. So dealing with the dynamic of that, other companies are representing your brand. And so it's a, it's a fine balance because you have to learn to dance with these um, other entities. Um, I went over some merchandise and trademark issues. Has anyone seen the, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves logo. Okay, well, some people say it looks a lot like our logo. (laughs) Our leagues think it looks a lot alike. So anyway, so they're dealing with that. So we're dealing with some of those issues. Um, The collective bargaining agreement and group licensing. In our league, if you want to sponsor with the Coyotes and you want to use a player, you have to use four or more because we can't have personal endorsements from one player who has no choice over the matter and doesn't get compensated for it. So my marketing team put together a lovely poster that was going to go in some grocery stores and it only had two players. So then we had to run to the printers, get them to put a stop on it, add a few more players in. So it's literally all ends of the spectrum. Yeah, we, uh, let's see, I, this weekend, uh, for the first time since I've been there, we are having, we're hosting a flag football tournament. It's not our flag football tournament is someone else's, but they're coming to our lovely facilities and putting that on. So that's going to give me a heart attack until Monday. Um, our, you know, our organization's a bit different when it comes to our stadium. We don't own the stadium and we don't run the stadium and everybody knows it. Um, whereas I feel like with hockey, because there are so many different events that occur mm-hmm. and it's a constant, um, 
it, it's harder to differentiate. Um, and in our, I think because we get a lot of public funding, even though we've actually paid a very substantial amount of money towards um, renovations, I think we're over a hundred million on renovations that we've been doing over the last few years. And I mean, things look beautiful, so I'm really excited about it. But people know that we don't own the stadium. But every once in a while, we have a somebody's, you know, slips or Mm -hmm. something happens. Um, You're constantly dealing with concessionary issues. Um, And then people want tickets to, I don't know, college football championships that I'm like, I literally have nothing to do with that. Or Taylor Swift is coming in. And can you get me a whole bunch of these tickets? And I say, do you know about Ticketmaster? Um, but you know, we do have these really fun benefits sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for, for me, I, I get season tickets. Uh, I'm working during the games. Um, and you know, you could ask, well, what does a lawyer do during a football game? <laughs> and, uh, last year I was a secret shopper of our concessionaires. Oh, so I got tricky. to eat all the crazy food, which, Good, bad, I don't know, ask my clothing if I fit in it. And um, and other times it's just roaming around making sure that things just look the way they look, they're supposed to look, whether all the TVs are on and the audio is on the right channel. or there. It's funny the amount of minutia that you pay attention to. Um, that logo, that flag, that's a relatively new logo. It's about three or four years old. There's another logo, very similar to this one, a little different red, and the skull has kind of like a comb over, and uh, the flag is a little different. And let me just tell you how much that old logo hurts my soul every time I see it. And people will say, but it's the same. And you just become so attuned to these things. And we as an organization decide to throw the logo on everything. So when we change a logo, things like trash cans need to go (laughs) and get replaced. Giant chairs that have the logo emblazoned on it in our dining room all had to go. Carpet had to get torn up because the logo was in the carpet. And it's funny to see the things that you deal with that you don't think about. Um, And those are some of the, the things that come up, you know. We had Fox Sports uh, broadcasting one of our games. It was an away game. So I was at home watching and all of a sudden the old logo came up. (laughs) And my first thing was I'm texting our director of marketing and our broadcast people being like, how does Fox Sports not have the right logo? They're not new. Um, (laughs) and, And these are the things that we end up dealing with. I am always amazed at how often my friends have to go shoe shopping for their kids. I mean, I would love to go shoe shopping for myself every month, but I I can't imagine your kids either grow out of them or they get holy. So with Easy Kicks, kids can wear their shoes as long as they want. And once they're wrecked too small or just want a new style, you can send them back in a prepaid shipping envelope and Easy Kicks will donate the used shoes to a nonprofit partner of theirs. You can send the shoes back in any condition. doesn't matter. Dirty, wrecked, full of holes. And Easy Kicks will swap it out with a new pair. 
It's only $20 a month per child, and there are no limits to how often you can swap for a new pair. As an official partner of Nike, they release a new style each week, and you know that they're going to be good shoes. You can cancel at any time. Visit easykicks.com slash join now to sign up and use discount code EASYLISTEN at checkout for $5 off your first month in the club. That's E as in everybody wants new shoes and Z as in Zoe, my cat. Visit easykicks.com slash join now. Use discount code EASYLISTEN at checkout. Do you have a lot of um, local enforcement issues with the logo? We do, and it's all on a scale of uh, priority, I guess you could say. Um, At the Coyotes, we uh, have a lot going on, and um, my time at the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are a well-oiled machine. They have three full-time attorneys, a paralegal, an assistant, and they are awesome. So one day I was like running around. And so you might be the cat lady. I'm the crazy waiver lady because anyone that steps on my ice, I want a waiver from. Um, So we were going to play Chicago that night. The Blackhawks have a ton of people in Phoenix. So it almost seems like it's a Chicago game rather than RGM. So I'm running around and um, same thing. So we have some people and I got an email from the D-back saying, hey, there's this minivan that has our logo, your logo, the Cardinals, and the D-backs selling tickets and merchandise out of his car. And at that time, I was like, thank goodness that I have like a good relationship with these people because that would probably be number 28 on my to-do list. And so um, wonderfully, our league handles a lot of our trademark stuff. And so I literally just forwarded onto the league and said, please, you know, issue your cease and desist letter because in the NHL, we control our rights and our marks in our territory, which is a 50-mile radius. Everything outside that, we call it the gray zone, which essentially the league controls. So we have league partners like Dunkin' Donuts or um, Miller Coors and um, companies like that. So I just worry about my, like, 50-mile radius. Um, It's a little different with our AHL team. The AHL doesn't have a collective group to handle trademarks, so I'm fully in control of our Tucson Roadrunners. So similarly... The Phoenix Roadrunners used to be a hockey team in Phoenix, and the logo was different. And so people who want to do stuff with us or advertise or want to claim an affiliation will use the old logo. And I'm like, you're like two decades too late, and they're in Tucson now. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a constant battle, and you have to use your marks, protect your marks, and enforce them if you want to keep them. Luckily, we're the same. I, I will be driving, and I will see a plumbing van and our logo. It's really difficult, and I don't advise taking pictures while you're driving. Safety first. Right. Um, but that may have happened, and then um, Vicky at the league gets a, an email from me that's like, hey, do you, do you see in-house roles growing um, at teams? I mean, if we think about just 10, 15 years ago, a lot of teams had one or no um, in-house counsel? So I, I would say it's growing. And obviously I've only been in the industry for a few years and out of law school for a handful to see that. And I recently just got numbers back just for the NHL. So out of all 31 NHL teams, um, our, we have 11 execs and two are attorneys and some of the other teams have two or three now. Um, and so surprisingly, the number of females is actually growing at a great rate. So I'm um, 
excited about that. Um, my organization, I don't know if that was a factor at all, but I think it is. Yeah. So in the NFL, when I first started, um, in one of these days, I could tell you all about my first day of work, uh, which included losing baggage and four different flights to get from Tampa to Indianapolis. But, um, when I first started and looked around the room, we have these annual meetings with all of the council from the different teams and at the league level. And in the NFL, we are almost at parity, if not at parity. Um, there are so many women in our types of roles that it's fantastic. And you don't know about it. It's not talked about much. And it's one of the things I'm proudest of um, within our league is that that is the case. And it's been great. I mean, the Jaguars, Jaguars, why, have three female attorneys. Um, and it's incredible. Um, there's still, I think, one team that has no in-house counsel. I don't understand, but fine. Um, and I think the Steelers just finally hired someone in-house. Um, what is the biggest accomplishment that you've had in the last year that you can speak to? Um, I would say it's with our, our minor league team, the AHL team, the Tucson Roadrunners. Um, essentially, we bought it from Springfield, Massachusetts and put it down in Tucson in four months. Um, and there was no sheet of ice in Tucson. So luckily the city of Tucson was a phenomenal partner to work with as well as the Rio Nuevo, which is a, um, multi-purpose facilities district, which acts like a TIF. If you guys haven't taken tax law, don't, cause it's a nightmare to understand. But, um, so there's a state agency, the city of Tucson and us, and we partnered together. We got a sheet of ice, which, involves chillers. I didn't know I'd be needing like engineering backgrounds to understand how that works and how it processes, but we renovated um, Old Pueblo, which is um, essentially where we play. We call it Tucson Convention Center. We got it up and running. It was like a startup company. So we didn't even have Wi-Fi for the first three or four months. Um, it was a really dynamic relationship between us, the city, the state agency, and the University of Arizona, which is right down the street from where we play. And it just took a lot of convincing and negotiating and planning and execution. And it was like an all-hands-on-deck effort. And that's the one thing I do love about sports is you don't miss out on the team mentality just because you're on the business side rather than the sports operation side. It's so nice to like work with people that have your back. You have one goal. Everyone's focused on the same thing. So I think that's probably my biggest accomplishment. Not that I can really take credit for it because there was a lot of other people involved, but I loved being part of it. Yeah. The team thing we have, um, you know, in Tampa, we have the Tampa Bay Rays. We have the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, and then us, um, and there's a, a hashtag that gets used a lot, uh, team Tampa Bay. Um, we, you know, we all support each other a lot. And when there are really cool things going on, um, it's great. We have a great sports commission, Tampa Bay Sports Commission, that is the one that brings in those really, really big sports events like um, college football championships or, you know, Final Four basketball tournament. Um, one of the things that happened this past year is we were awarded the Super Bowl um, for 2020. 
21, two, I can't remember. Um, but that's huge. Um, that means in a few years, we're going to have this amazing event occurring at our facility and, um, the bid process for those can be really long and arduous, but because of the renovations that we were doing, we have these beautiful new scoreboards. We have these beautiful new, um, seating areas that we managed to sell out, you know, within a couple of months of, of, you know, opening sales for them. It was, I think like 400 and something new seats that all needed contracts. <laughs> um, that happened quickly. Um, you know, stuff like that, that we love, um, you know, one of the other questions that I tend to ask, and then we'll open this up to you all if you have questions. Um, and this is gonna, you know, may may sound very unlawyerly like. Um, what do you do by way of self care? So when I left my law firm, just, just so you guys know, if no one's told you, you work a lot, and um, everyone cares about billable hours and. I found out that in order to bill eight hours, I would have to work about 10 and a half or 11. And I got better as time went on, um, but it, it eats up a lot of time. And so being a student athlete, I was fortunate enough to be trained in working out. And I every morning, even though I'm six and a half months pregnant, I wake up, I kind of run. I don't work out super hard, but every morning like that, 45 minutes to an hour is kind of my time. Um, and so that's a routine that I've kept through law school, through my law firm and through my time at the coyotes. And I think that's a a big push in my day. It's kind of like me time. It gets me started. And that's what I care about. I remember when I was in law school as a one L we had this conference. Um, so they brought everyone into the great hall and we went over the statistics on depression, alcohol, dependency, drug use. And I was like, what am I getting myself into? Like, I thought I was avoiding this by not going to med school. Like, what is going on? Um, and I was prepping for trial when I was at my firm. And um, I got home and I was like, I really just want to drink. And I was like, I have never had that feeling in my life. Like, what is this? Is this just getting old? Is this like part of the gig? What's going on? And so... Um, I've done a good job and I try to unplug as well. So don't get me wrong. I'm checking emails at night. I'm, you know, responding at, you know, 1030 when I can't fall asleep or whatever. But I also don't have a problem anymore of just not answering my phone and I'll get back to it later. And that's something I didn't learn until three or four years into my career. Also, it's nice being in-house because everyone's, I don't want to say on your time, but when you're at a law firm and you have 20 clients that you're answering to, you feel obligated to always respond immediately it's nice now that I can kind of take a step back and prioritize things. So marketing group, I know you think that this is the most important thing ever, but it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. So kind of finding my voice is probably the way I do my self-care. Yeah. The overnight hockey emergency is fairly rare. Um, it happens more than you could imagine. <laughs> um, there's this rule in hockey about backup goalies. Is anyone familiar with hockey? Okay, so we have two goalies on our roster. Just because our AHL team is in Tucson, I was like, well, great. If one of our goalies gets hurt, we'll drive them up from Tucson. It's an hour and a half, no big deal. Well, because not all NHL teams have their minor league teams so close, that's a rule so no one can bring up a minor league player. So we have backups in the community. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, apparently they're like rec league guys or they're friends of someone we know. We have to have a list that gets submitted to the NHL. So whether it's our player that gets hurt or a visiting team, you have a backup within the community that shows up to the arena. That's happened to us twice in the last two seasons. Oh my God. <laughs> Hockey, it's, it's a wonderful sport. 
Do you ever have that dream about going back to school or being back at school? It happens to me literally all the time. It's slightly frightening. I want to tell you a little bit about Florida International University. Florida International University has 20 years of excellence in online education, and most of their master's degree programs can be completed in 12 to 24 months. FIU has a range of programs and services to support student success, including success coaches, academic coaches, advising, and tutoring. So if you're thinking about going back to school, check out the online master's degrees from FIU. They are designed to meet the demands of busy professionals and offer flexibility for family obligations. So check out their website for more information at www.fiuonline.com. That's www.fiuonline.com. You know, for me, my biggest and number one self-care thing that I prioritize pretty much above everything else is sleep. Um, It has always in the legal industry been a badge of honor to be able to only get three or four hours of sleep and be able to function. Let me tell you, you're not actually functioning. Um, And for me, because I've from a very young age dealt with depression and anxiety, sleep is one of the ways that I am able to keep it all together. Um, I've learned that I need a certain amount of sleep or I am just going to be junk and you're not going to get the best of me. And it's not, good for anybody. Um, and it's also just better for my health, like overall health. Um, so I make sure that I sleep a lot. And then there are times when I'm like, I cannot deal with the world at large. Um, so I will just hang out with my cats and I'm okay with it. Um, but I, you know, I, I also try and like one, one of the things that is helpful to me is being open about the fact that I've dealt with depression and anxiety um, for my whole life. Because I think that by doing that, I'm able to show that you can be successful in quotes. Um, Cause I don't know who, when do you get to call yourself successful? I'm not sure yet. To be determined. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it, it just shows that like it's not going to, it doesn't have to hinder who you are or, or what you can achieve. Um, and then um, in the past year, Starting this podcast has really been, um, it's given me a whole, I don't know, it's given me life. Um, And uh, just to tell you guys a little bit about it real quick, and then we'll open for questions. So what I did was I realized, and I had known this for a while, but there wasn't really an outlet. There wasn't really a resource um, that focused on women who work in sport and not at the legal level necessarily, but I mean in any level. And the um, industry publication, um, which I shall not name, uh, does a 40 under 40 every year. They had six women on it last year. You're lazy. Um, and that kind of, that with other things going on in the world, which are making me a little ragey, I decided to channel it all. And on my way to the Daytona 500 last year, I came up with this concept and um, it's been great. And I get to talk with really cool women who do all sorts of different jobs um, in sports. And, um, and I get to learn from them, but also young women who are interested in getting into the industry get to learn from them and they get some recognition. So um, this week's uh, episode is my favorite yet. And the reason it's my favorite is because this woman is a personal idol of mine. Uh, it's Catherine Switzer. Catherine is that woman 
from the black and white photograph of someone of a woman running the Boston Marathon and two guys, one guy trying to pull her off and another um, helping her. She's the first female to finish the Boston Marathon with a bib number, number 261. And um, as a runner, you know, she's been an idol of mine and I got to, I got to talk to her and she told me to put on running shoes and go running. So I'm having my audio guys clip that little bit and uh, send it to me to make it an alarm. Uh, (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. And then she tweeted at me the other day and I freaked out and printed it out and need to frame it. Um, (laughs) So um, that's, you know, that's kind of been uh, another way of self-care for me, even though it's insane. Um, There's so much stuff that I'm learning and it's very much outside of the norm for an attorney in-house to have a podcast. You say that and people are like, what? You're going to do what? What are you going to talk about? And I have very little filter. So that really concerns some people. Um, (laughs) But I think now that they see what it is, it's been good. But um, so I think we're going to open it to questions. Hi, um, my name is Chelsea Austin. I'm a 2L here. So um, obviously you talked about how you use Twitter to kind of get your foot in the door with communicating with people in the industry. Um, So I know that sometimes I'll have trouble contacting people and um, setting up informational interviews. So how would you best, um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to set up an informational interview, um, but they don't want to seem like pestering or anything like that? Sure. So for people on the live stream and for the audio that I'm putting on my, uh, my, my podcast, uh, the question was, how do you, you know, break through to people when you want an informational interview? How do you make those initial contacts? Um, and how I had used Twitter previously. So listen, I deal with this with the podcast, right? Uh, how did I get Catherine Switzer? You know, um, I think one of the most important things when you are trying to reach out to somebody for an informational interview is that you personalize it. Um, Do not cut and paste and send an email to people because we know Uh, it's so, so obvious. Find something about that person. Do research. You guys have so much access to information about people. Um, I like to joke that I Twitter, that I Google stock all of my uh, guests um, and, and pick little bits, but you have, I hope you didn't Google me. I don't know what's up there. Well, uh, uh, but there's so much information and you can find that connection. You know, um, did you go to the same university? That's basic, right? Um, did you, um, play the same sport? You know, do you have a connection to that person who can make that, um, connection? So when I first started, probably like eight years ago, I just learned about Google notifications where you could set something. So some of the people that I had admired in town that I would love for them to be kind of like a mentor to me, I set up Google alerts. So every time their name got published in an article or they came out with something new, I knew about it. It kind of gave me a talking point. And I think that's important because the way I see it now, especially in my role, is I get the, hey, I would love to meet you for coffee and talk about you know sports. 
I've had that conversation a zillion times. I'll probably have it a zillion more times, but it's always more engaging and it's easier to interact when it's like, Hey, I just saw that, you know, the NHL isn't going to the Olympics. Like, what do you think about this? Or, Hey, I just saw this trade go down and you know, how does that affect the the floor? Something that gives you a talking point. So what I, I would also suggest, um, I start my day when I get to the office, I read through like the sports business journals, like top 10 need to know things. It's usually like two lines about something. And if it's an interesting article, I'll read it. I think that's really important because when you guys are in law school, all you care about is reading your, your textbooks and prepping for class that you kind of forget that the outside world is still going on without you. Um, so tap into some of those things and have a talking point, because if you're going to someone just looking for a connection or a job, it's less ingenuous. And so it's like harder for me to want to do you a favor and introduce you to someone else. I know if it's just like a help me, help me, help me. It's more like a conversation. Yeah. And to that point, you know, never, never go into it asking about a job. Um, you want to learn as much as you can about that other person. Um, and especially in-house, the likelihood that we have an internship or a job is really close to zero. I mean, personally, at my organization, we do not do legal internships. Um, that's just a, a policy that has been made there. Um, it, there are some that do. Um, and But, you know, if you're reaching out, it's best to, you know, be like, hey, I'm interested. Hey, I listened to this podcast. Hey, I saw you guys got the Super Bowl. Awesome job. Um, one of the things that I do on a regular basis, much like your alerts, mm-hmm. um, is, is, and this is industry specific. So Sports Business Journal puts out a, a daily thing. And in it, they have um, transactions that occur from like a, a job thing. So like Marina was hired by the Coyotes as da, 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 da. So you learn about people moving around throughout the industry. And whenever I see a woman who um, reaches basically the top position in whatever her part of the industry is, you know, say it's a, someone becomes CFO of, of the Coyotes and, and it's a woman, I will, I will usually send her a congratulations note. Um, that's just something that I've been doing for the last couple of years. When I see like a really great article, um, in the Tampa Bay times or something about most powerful women in sports in Tampa, I sent them all little notes and that's how I've increased my, um, network. Um, I love sending it to, uh, female, females who get athletic director positions because that's still so rare. Um, and what's fun is that they will often write back. Um, so even if you don't know somebody, don't feel like you can't send them a congratulations note or something along those lines. And, and as you keep those connections, you know, foster that relationship, check back in with them. And, and if you do see another article later on, say, Hey, I saw this article. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have time for a 15 minute, you know, catch up call or something like that? Um, one of your classmates reached out to me. I'm not going to say her name cause I don't want to embarrass her, but reached out to me in the fall. And then I forgot, um, when I accepted to come on <laughs> here, um, that she went to school here. Um, <laughs> but she saw that I was going to be speaking. So she reached back out to me. Um, and we ended up getting coffee yesterday. So, um, you know, just keep your eyes on stuff like that. 
Hi, uh, my name's Ian. I'm a 2L. I graduated from WP Carry too. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Marina, I guess this is more for you, given that you have kind of like that dual experience with a firm and in-house. You talked about the billable hours. What's the work-life balance now that you're on the other side of it? And how has that changed and how does it contrast with what you were experiencing when you worked at the firm? So I thought it was going to be like a better work-life balance. I work just as much and it's just as crazy, except now I only have one client, which I think is easier to deal with. Um, we are a little cyclical though. So in the off season, kind of before we kind of ramp up for the end, like we take Fridays off in my office, which I didn't think would be a big deal, but like you just look forward to like being able, and I usually work anyways, but I'm working from home in my sweats, like on my couch, you know? So, um, I do think it's better. Uh, clearly like I didn't like, I'm expecting my first baby, so I've never gone through that. So we'll see how that goes. Wish me luck in two and a half months. Um, but I think overall, like health wise, I'm happier. And I didn't realize that because I didn't realize I was like unhappy at my firm because I don't want to say I was unhappy there. But um, I think being a part of a team is kind of what makes my days feel fulfilled. And so that's why I do love it. So you will work just as much whether you're in-house or not. It's kind of just the different strategies. Yeah, I was curious about, you mentioned how getting that first job in sports is kind of the most difficult. And so I know you were talking before about, um, you know, kind of meeting people and creating relationships, but as far as, you know, kind of like the work side of it, would you, because you kind of both talk about the in-house side, would you recommend in-house as far as like a skill builder or something to do to kind of, you know, before you break into sports or like, or would you recommend something else? So for me, um, it worked out well that I was in-house. Um, I, I got to understand business, how businesses work more. And even though they were in different industries and it also gave me a broad range of, of skills, um, to move forward. Um, I, I tell people that, you know, you, you can do either, um, but make sure that if you're, uh, a junior attorney that you're getting your hands on contracts and that you're, um, doing some actual work that's not just research um, because you're going to need those transferable skills. And sometimes um, I'll have people who reach out to me that are like um, uh, insurance defense litigators who have been practicing for a couple of years and they want a job similar to mine and, and they have these great judgments or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, that's fantastic. When's the last time you touched a contract? Um, because I want to say that that's 70 to 80% of what I do on a daily to day basis. So just making sure you're broadening your skill set and actually tangibly working on things and not just um, researching is helpful. I would say any experience you can get is likely going to be good experience. I mean, there's a few areas, maybe family law doesn't translate well, maybe insurance defense doesn't translate well. I think there are some organizations that would say family law would be helpful. Um, so, So my advice is, you know, it's not like you can just walk out and pick between 20 different jobs. And if you are that student, congratulations. I was not that student. So like I kind of had to hustle for some of my jobs. And so whatever you're going to do, get good experience and do a great job at that job, whatever it is. So like when I was with the D-backs, I would be around on game days and I would be help ushering people around. That has nothing to do with legal work, but I wanted to be a good contributor and make myself value. So find a way to add value, whatever you're doing. And I think it'll help. Agreed. 
Um, I guess my question is more for Bobby Sue. Um, my name is Kalina, and I'm a 3L here at the Law College. I'm actually from Florida, so I wanted you to speak more about your transition from Boston to Florida. What was, that was like uh, professionally for you? Um, did you have to the bar? Um, how, how did that transition look for you? And um, Okay, so I moved. There was five feet of snow <laughs> outside of my apartment. There's no snow in Tampa. It's amazing. Um, and seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. Um, so that has been helpful. Professionally, listen, I finally got to be in the industry that I always wanted to be in. And I had an amazing boss while he was at the organization. He's one of the best people in the industry. Carla, who will speak later, knows of him. A lot of people know him, and he's awesome. Um, uh, there's a bit of a culture shock with politics at times. Um, but luckily Tampa's a, a bit more transient, so that hasn't been terrible. Um, and then with the bar, um, Florida doesn't have reciprocity with anyone because Florida. Arizona so either, yeah. yeah. Um, what was that? They protect their yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause everyone it, wants to retire to the warm weather. That's what we know. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, but luckily as in-house counsel, I can have a limited license um, to practice um, as authorized in-house counsel. So I still have to send information to the bar. Um, they, But basically it means my only client and the only person that I'm, you know, group that I'm doing work for is this organization in-house. I can't appear in court on their behalf unless I'm pro hoc Um But at the end of the day, they don't want me litigating for them. So <laughs> it works out really well. Yep. And that's the way that if I, you know, in sports, you have to take the job where you can get the job. Um, you might be able to be pickier later on in your career, but your first few jobs, it's whoever's going to hire you just so you can break in. And luckily, you know, bar um, uh, bars tend to have authorized in-house so that you're able to do that. So I have to maintain my Massachusetts license, which is great because I don't have to do CLEs for that one. Um, but I do still have to do CLEs for Florida. So um, Sports Lawyers Association every year is always good for that. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend that conference to anyone who is interested in sports. Thank you all. Thank you to the students of the International Law Review at Michigan State University's College of Law for having Marina and I and for figuring out the technology to be able to record that episode. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with Marina and the students there were great. They had phenomenal questions. Um, it was just a really great time. So uh, thank you to everyone there. And please make sure you are rating and reviewing the podcast along with subscribing at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com. Those are my guys. We'll talk to you next week. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Make sure everybody has personal, well-defined goals that the family understands, the family respects, and the family supports. You know, Seth, I, I had the largest junior tennis program in the world at one time in the 70s and early 80s. I trained thousands of instructors in the score system. Tennis was just the vehicle. So I know for sure that four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 
understand and can understand the concept of optimism. We made them say the word and told them what it meant. We showed them what someone not optimistic was doing. We showed them what someone that was optimistic, what they were doing. We need to train our children on um, being positive. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.